Hello, Deep State Radio listeners. To celebrate the launch of our new login and feed management system, we are offering membership for just $5 per month or $50 per year. Members receive access to exclusive bonus content from all of our podcasts, an invitation to the DSR Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. To take advantage of this offer, please visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. There's no need to enter a promo code. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. Thank you very much. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the podcast. I'm your host, David Roth. I'm coming to you from somewhere outside of New York City coming to you from closer to the nation's capital. I think, of course, because it's that time of the week, we have Dr. Kavita Patel, practicing physician, former Obama White House guru. How are you doing, Kavita? I'm very excited about our $300 billion deficit reduction that even Joe Manchin couldn't put a a kink into. So Even Larry Summers liked it. Even well, there you go. That's the best endorsement. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, he doesn't like anything. But in any event, we have with us one of my all-time favorite guests from any of our podcasts, Olivia Troy, who has been held many jobs in government. I think most recently she was a Homeland Security Advisor, plus also COVID Advisor to the Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence. And I just thought, boy, it would be great to hear from Olivia because there seems to be this thing going on where sort of Pence world, it's like one of those big ice flows that break off of the Antarctic, sort of float off onto the, you know, Pence Pence world seems to drive down. And Mark Short and uh, what's his name? Greg. uh, Greg Jacobs. Greg Jacobs seemed to be cooperating with the DOJ. What do you think of all that, Olivia? Yeah, lots going on here. And look at Twitter and some other social media sites. Let me know sometimes when uh, the hornet's nest has been stirred in the mega circles, as I call it, because I get a lot of, wow, what did what was Pence hiring? What was he doing? <laughs> they, named, they named me and then they named Greg Jacob and then they named Mark Short. And clearly we've gone under their skin. And so now they think that this is all a setup, right? Because everything's a conspiracy in that world. So yeah, it's been quite interesting to watch this sort of unfold. But look, I mean, this is a big deal. I think these are major developments, especially Greg Jacob and Mark Short appearing before the grand jury. I mean, I don't think that there's probably no more powerful testimony than those two witnesses who sat in the meetings with Eastman and saw the pressure firsthand. So yeah, it's a it, it's interesting to see. Uh, look, this is what I I have to say. I would I hope someday would happen where people would really come forward, um, whether it's under subpoena or whatever way. I guess at this point, but I do think that it's um, look. It's I think it's critically important, and I think you know in terms of the people that have come forward in the committee, 
and those hearings, a lot of the stuff we've heard is just so chilling and just so just frightening when you hear just firsthand accounts of it. Well, but not must not be very surprising for you, although we do have Jared Kushner's new book out. And he says that uh, another of your former bosses, John Kelly, shoved Ivanka. Interesting. I had not seen that. <laughs> to look that up. I, I guess he didn't share the story when he sat down up at the table next to me in the set room and told me to F off. He didn't really give a S about COVID and didn't think it was real. And he didn't care if I sat next to him. It was fine. Well, when I was trying to socially distance, because in my head, you know, I was thinking maybe I shouldn't sit right next to the son-in-law to the president. And maybe I should sit distantly so that I, not knowing maybe if I'm a contagion, maybe I I don't want to infect these people. But I quickly learned that that was uh, not an issue (laughs) for them. What do you think, Kavita? We just heard a better story than is probably in Jared's whole book. Well, what we heard, notice what Olivia said. She was doing it because she wanted to try to protect the people around the president. There was there was no comment of like, oh, I wanted to protect myself. She's like, no, I could be a threat. So I wanted to protect all these other people. Such words you have not heard coming out of the inner circle of President Trump. So I, yeah, I one, silly me. one more silly. reason. I don't, silly, silly Olivia. Big kind of <laughs> so, infectious disease, easily spread. <laughs> I don't know. Let's, let's protect know. the leader of the free world. But sure. <laughs> and by the way, I think Mark Short, I have to just say this just because I've, I've met him. I feel like when I met him like pre-COVID in real life, I feel like, I don't know if he's like working out. I don't know if he's been getting like Botox. I feel like he's looking like the best version of himself. So whatever's happening, whatever this like process is, like, okay, God bless. He, he I like the really reduced good. level of stress of trying to figure out how to navigate inside the White House when you have a crazy yeah. other part of the White House. Yeah. He's, he's um, and the two like, teams are always at odds. <laughs> so like, he actually looks like he's like getting younger, which is, you know, good for him. One question I have, we know that this there's now, it feels like we're seeing movement in the DOJ. I know many of us, David, myself included, kind of felt like, all right, we know Garland theoretically has a plan, like something's happening. These wheels are cranking. You also know, you've alluded to this so many times here on this podcast as well, how often this is, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Since we're seeing this movement, Olivia, do you have kind of your predictions like kind of what might be next, whether it's specific people or themes that they're going to pick up on, any sense of what might be coming next from this should hopefully open up like rip off a bandaid, I'd assume of other former staff or give people courage. But what do you think? I mean, I I think that's the hope, right? And I think also that's partially why um, I'm sure you've seen the reporting where I've been a supporter of the people coming forward and making sure Mm -hmm. that they are safe and that they're talking about mm-hmm. what it means. And um, because I think, I, look, it is it is very hard and it does take a toll on a lot of aspects of your life on the human side of it. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I've just been an advocate for them in terms of that and also in hopes that it encourages others to come forward and cooperate and tell the truth about what's going on here or what happened. Because I think it's important. So I, I think I think we'll probably see more people Coming forward, I think logically, just looking at the fact that Greg and Mark have now testified before the grand jury, I'm sure that there are other staffers that have likely been at least uh, approached mm-hmm. by DOJ or along the way. I'm pretty certain of that. And 
um, especially because, I mean, you know, those are pretty big fish, Greg Jacob and Mark Short. Who are are the other staffers that you would think they should talk to be? Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I ask this is that we have learned that the DOJ got the um, light bulb idea to go and talk to Cassidy Hutchison a month ago, which means because she was speaking to the January 6th committee. Now, you would have thought that perhaps speaking to Mark Meadows' assistant would have crossed their mind prior to that, right? But it didn't. So who should they be talking to? Look, I think anybody who was on staff still in the West Wing should be working. Mm-hmm. Or even on, honestly, on some of the more senior positions in the National Security Council who work very closely with the West Wing. I think, I actually think I would be looking towards them to see if they if they were in the West Wing that day or what they were what they were witness to. That's who I would be talking to as well, because I do think that there are a lot of national security people who understand the importance of these types of investigations who would who would be very honest in their accounts. And I'm not saying that they haven't. I want to be clear about that. I think that's probably likely the case that's going on. Yes, to your point, like you would probably want to talk to every single person sitting outside of Mark Meadows' office. And Cassidy was not the only person sitting right outside his office and in his office in many of the meetings, right? I mean, she was always with him. I can't think of a single time that I saw Mark Meadows get out of the motorcade vehicle and not see Cassidy walking out right next to him, which is why I always have to chuckle when everybody pretends that they don't know you all of a sudden. It's like you're sitting in all the photos, you're sitting in the room, but suddenly we're like Casper the friendly ghost. Like it's like, we're just this vision that appears, but apparently nobody knows who we are. So it's either that or we're getting the coffee and we're not listening. Apparently, apparently we're not aware of our surroundings when we're getting the coffee. Apparently, like if you're the coffee girl, you you have no brain and you're not listening to anything. They don't realize that as coffee girls, we're listening to everything while it's happening, right? You're pouring the coffee and you're making it, but you're hearing everything that's going on. So that also argument doesn't stick. I mean, I don't know. Anyways, I digress. No, that's sort of what I was hoping. I was just hoping we could trigger you and then you would. Do. I, I love listening to Olivia, not that she's filtered, but uh, really unfiltered because it's true. It does feel like there's all these staff number seven that nobody, I, that person wasn't there. And they're like, where's Waldo? Like, here I am. I've been in every picture, you know, and they're the actual, like only people paying attention, taking notes and giving and continuity. <laughs> Continuity on the record. I, I, you know, I was thinking you worked closely with uh, General Kellogg, right? And um, I did. And, and I've watched some of the clips of him at the January 6th committee, and he seems so uncomfortable. You know, when yeah. I was wondering what your reaction is to that. I've been in some of the hearings live, and I watched his clips, and I watched mm-hmm. the moral struggle of a general officer who served mm-hmm. in the military and rightly, you know, served his country proudly and having known General Kellogg very well, I did work with him for you know over two years. And he was technically my direct boss since he was a national security advisor. And I was on his team for Mike Pence. And it was interesting to watch him try not to... I mean, I, I have no doubt that he was very honest. I, I have no doubt that he told the truth under oath because I think he would honor that oath. But I also know his unwavering loyalty to Donald Trump. We've had that conversation about how he is very loyal and he takes them with all his flaws. His mm-hmm. words, not mine. We, we had that conversation when I was leaving. And so it's been fascinating that he's trying to kind of like, 
he's got to respond because he's not going to perjure himself. And I don't honestly, I don't, I mean, I know he may be loyal to Donald Trump, but I don't think he's going to jail for him. It's been interesting to watch him kind of squirm. I also think it was sober telling because out of anyone who would know this firsthand was when he said that they couldn't put him in front of the microphone because as many speeches and as many days that he's been around Donald Trump, he never sticks to the script. And they thought that he would go off the rails and create possibly an even more dangerous situation by putting him on a microphone and telling, you know, and, and instead of calling off the ugly mob that was attacking the Capitol, he might just make it worse because he might say something, which is what he did, right? His loyalty to them that would make it worse. And it was so telling to hear General Kellogg say that because he would know because he was oftentimes standing right next to me when Donald Trump would go off script. And, you know, I'd have to go figure out with the CDC how we're going to tell people not to bleach themselves at night. So we know that the power of his words and the things he's capable of saying. And so I thought that that was telling. But then again, you know, General Kellogg's out there. He wrote the book and he has tweeted and stated that he will support Donald Trump for 2024. And he was at the America First rally and he's part of America First that whole thing they've got going on. So Mark Short, just what kind of what we've seen in the news reporting about uh, some of the focus of his grand jury testimony, talking about, you know, that he thought that if the mob had gotten closer, obviously, you know, Vice President Pence would have been killed. I mean, all of the conversations that had to happen between short and secret service. I mean, there's so much about the secret service that I find fascinating in all of this. The deleted text seems to, I'm hoping yeah, that this is also both. part of it, uh, That like that. But where do you think, and it's interesting because I, I made a point to, when I heard one of Mark's interviews, he made a comment. He said, you know, the secret service did a phenomenal job that day. And that was obviously in the context of saving his life, saving Vice President Pence's life that day and the mob yeah. got dangerously close. But you and I know, Olivia, David, all three of us understand how like security threats and and we now are getting more of a glimpse into like, not just on that day, but likely what led up to that day. I can't think of a decent intelligence official of any kind that couldn't have thought through, yeah, you know, this might be a problem that whether there's a mob or not, everybody I know would have been wired this way. I'm fascinated by what Mark and the Secret Service in advance of that actual event might have discussed. What is going on with the Secret Service? Why are they not being held accountable? And I find that to be such an un, unsettling kind of fact that's getting pushed a little bit because there's so much to deal with. But curious, Olivia, since you also on the inside understand that dynamic, kind of your thoughts about that and probably what led up to that day between the vice president's advance team, security details, yeah. all of that. Like I was at that the last hearing. And I think. You know, I know some people realize I was fairly emotional at that moment when they talked about the Secret Service and they talked about the messages and the national security mm-hmm. person on the phone hearing it on the radio traffic. Because I have to say it, it really felt it was like this heavy weight on me of the culmination of four years of having worked around and in the Trump administration in that moment of everything mm-hmm. just kind of coming together, the kind of dynamics and the kind of individual that Donald Trump was capable of being and the kind of sort of things that were faced along the way. And, and in that moment, I, I remember like taking a step back and I remember this in the lead up to January. So I was thinking like of all the things that I would be thinking of if I were still in the role. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, um, which I was not backfilled by the way. So I don't really know how they were operating on that, but um, that's, that's no another need. conversation for another day. But just 
I can, I, I can't even imagine. I think it gives a great glimpse into the dynamic in the Trump White House, mm-hmm. right? And, and sort of now they know that now this has come to a head. There have been other scenarios where I think the Pence team has navigated and tiptoed around situations and figured out how we navigate mm-hmm. around this whole thing. But now it's come to a head and now they're at odds against each other and mm-hmm. they know that this is going to be ugly. The bigger question in that moment, I would have said, was who can we trust? Yeah, like exactly. Who do we actually trust in this situation other than mm-hmm. Greg Jacob, who I completely like work with and I know his character. And I, I am so grateful that he was in the role he was in because he does have integrity and he believes in the rule of law. And I just think like, <laughs> I can just picture Mark Schwartz thinking, okay, I, can, I know I can trust Gray. I know that I can likely trust Mike Pence's detail, right? Because they have been with us and you hope that they're loyally going to protect the vice president in this right. situation, right? Right. And then, so what is the situation going in there? And also what's the dynamic going in there, right? Like, and exactly. also how is this going to play out on White House grounds Mm-hmm. And how ugly is it going to get? And I'm sure that Mark is trying to figure all of this out. Like, how's he going to navigate Mark Meadows? That relationship was always tense. It yeah. was always a strange situation with the Meadows team and us inside baseball. It was uh, not pretty. <laughs> and I will tell you that they went out of their way to make sure that publicly that was not known. But it was uh, not the easiest situation of, of how that interaction would go at times. And so I can, I can just see him thinking, okay, so what is our plan and how do we get him to certify? I'm sure that was, I can't even imagine because you're thinking about that and you're like, you know, he has to do his job and he's going to do it. And I really thought it was telling when they put out the statement. Honestly, I remember this vividly on January 6th when I saw that statement come out of Pence's team and I think they tweeted out and it came, I think it went out on the media where he puts out a statement right as he's getting in the motorcade to the Capitol. And he says, there is no other option. I'm going to do my constitutional duty. Do you remember when he puts out the statement? Mm -hmm. And I was like, honestly, when I saw that, I was like, okay, now I'm terrified. Now I'm actually really scared because to me, that was a cry for help. Like, I mean, I was like, that is him telling the entire world, by the way, I'm going to go do this. Trump is going to say that I can't do it. I'm just telling you that this is what's going to play out. And I know fully well the situation that I'm walking into. And, you know, and I, and I can tell you, so I have a text from Greg that night that says, God bless America. And it's chilling because I can only imagine that they were going into this thinking what is about to happen. And they know Trump supporters, they know the energy and they know how Trump is when he turns on someone and he knows that he can direct that energy anywhere. And so I, you know, trying to figure out how they're going to navigate that. Now I have to say, I just, I'm still puzzled on the national security side and I get it. That's the problem when you have the most powerful person, that's the person that's the one directing and calling the shots, who's actually the one that's creating the situation and how dangerous it is. I I guess that's what's so scary about the entire thing is where were the barriers? Where was the preparation for that? Where were these conversations and the whole National Guard conversation with Chris Miller and all mm-hmm. of these things? Considering the preparation that I saw in the previous summer, right, with all the protests, and it looked like a freaking fortress. I mean, I was like, this looks like 9-11 aftermath. That's what it looked like downtown and the White House going in and out of it. 
and just seeing nothing that day, I'm just still so baffled about that. Like what was happening at the senior level. I I'm just still so baffled about that. Like what was happening at the senior level. Why was Chad Wolf overseas? And where's the VP on this? Like it's Mark short kind of figuring out like what's going on. That's not an accident. No. They, they wanted the place surrounded by troops and walls that was surrounded by troops and walls. And when they didn't, it wasn't. And they had already put into place some of their kind of patsy appointees at DHS and at, at DOD, at ODNI. And there was a reason for that. And one of the inherent conflicts that, that is, in my mind, sort of haunted this whole story about the Secret Service is, and may, maybe I misunderstood, you know, but I seem to recall that Mike Pence, when he was downstairs in the bowels of the Capitol, refused to go with the Secret Service because he didn't know where they were going to take him. You know, that there was some concern that if he got into the limousine with people that might be loyal to Trump, that he might just disappear for a while and they might achieve their goal of not certifying the ballots that way. And, and so there, there seems to have been this divide within the Secret Service that we were talking about a couple of months ago when we were talking about that. And we don't seem to be remembering that now. How does that strike you, Olivia? No, I think that's accurate. And look, I think during when Greg Jacob was testifying before the January 6th committee, one of them are chilling things. And I know there were a lot of things that came out of that hearing. And I think it got a little bit lost, but he did say that when when they asked him about that moment, they asked him about what happened with Pence. Why, why did he say he wouldn't get in the car? And I thought that the response was super telling when he said that he looked at his Secret Service guy, which I know he's a great law enforcement officer. And he said, yeah, he's like, I trust you, but you're not the one driving the car. And to hear that directly from Greg, I thought was so telling because why would Penn say that? And certainly Greg's not going to make that up, especially under oath, right? So if that was the vice president's immediate response to him, yes, that expresses concern that he doesn't trust the fact that he has no idea where the motorcade's going to end up. And in the back of his head, now we know. Now we have firsthand knowledge of the complete pressure campaign on him to not certify the election. So two things, it's like, where are you taking me? And I know what you're trying to do, considering you've been trying to place all these fake electors. Who the heck knows what the heck's going to happen if I get in that car and I disappear? Like, is Chuck Grassley showing up with his fake electors behind me? Remember when Chuck Grassley was announcing that he was going to potentially preside, which was also a weird red flag to me. So imagine processing all of this in the moment well, you can hear the mob yelling. Well, you know that they're coming at you. And your Secret Service detail is completely stressed out, trying to figure out, you know, and, and we heard it from Mark say, like, he thought that there would be bloodshed. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, because it probably would have been a shootout, right? At that point, they have the authority to shoot because the vice president's life is in danger. And if there's more of them, I don't know what would have happened. It would have been, it's horrifying to actually think about it and realizing what could have played out. Yeah, but that's the thing is there was a rift in the Secret Service. There were people in the Secret Service the vice president didn't trust at that moment. And, you know, now we found there are people in the Secret Service who aren't maintaining their records. And we know that this guy, Tony Ornato, who really shouldn't have been the deputy chief of staff. I mean, is that a weird thing to you, too? 
It is. And look, I, the one thing that bothers me about that is you can leave your government position and take a major political point like that. But traditionally, and Kavita, like, you know, this, like, if you're going to have a secret service person, they're usually detailed to the National Security Council and they're in a national security type of role. They're in that sphere. That's not the role that Tony Ornato was in. He was in a very political world as deputy chief of staff. And I find it odd that he would take that role, but then also then go back into the service. Like he is still in the secret service now. That to me is kind of interesting. It also, I mean, yeah, I'm sure perhaps they did it by the book on that, but I think that was a mistake on behalf of the secret service to, to do that because it is, it allows for the politicizing of the agency. Right. And now they're in this middle of this shameful sort of scandal as an entity that should be elite and protecting our country's leaders. And that should really be the number one mission. Right. And there should be none of this like speculation going on behind the scenes. But that's what happens when you have a loyalist like Tony Arnato walking the halls doing Trump's bidding, which I know he did. There are certainly those of us in the West Wing who know who know very well what he is. And now they've lawyered up right? They've lawyered up. And if you've got nothing to hide and you're just going to tell the truth, why do you, then what are you worried about? The inspector general in charge of looking into this at DHS is a Trump appointee. Yeah, exactly. I have a lot to say about this, but I will, I will keep it very succinct. What the fuck? Sorry, go on. Yeah, you should be saying that. I think there's a lot of CYA going on here Uh by a lot of people who now realize that they're implicated. And I'll just say this about the IG. There is a reason that I didn't follow the whistleblower process. There is a reason for that, right? There's a reason that I had to really actually quit my entire career and come forward and speak publicly very much that way. I was a DHS detailee to the White House. And I know firsthand that there were efforts to place people in IG roles specifically. The first time that I heard, something like this. I can't tell you how, how unsettling it was to me. And I know this because I had a conversation with someone who was being potentially offered the role. And I said to this person, is that the person you want to be? Do you want to be the watchdog after you've served loyally in your career, you've served as a public servant? Do you want to become the watchdog for this administration? Because that's what you will be, be doing. And so the fact that I even had that conversation with a colleague, and this is, you know, way before this, while sitting in the White House, I think is maybe hopefully shed some light (laughs) for you all on what this environment really is. And so I just, I do have some questions on the process there. We're also a year and a half into the Biden administration, you know, like somebody ought to like have stopped, blown the whistle, said these are mistakes, right? Anyway, this is where we take a break. And people who are listening in general public, we say thanks a lot. If you want to listen to the rest, become a member. Go to the dsrnetwork.com, click on membership, become a member. To all of our members who we we are always grateful to, all you have to do is stand by and we'll pick up with Kavita's next question for Olivia. And obviously, this is such a great conversation. You don't want to miss the rest of this in one moment. This is Kavita Patel, co-host of the Words Matter podcast. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I talk about the issues facing our country as we head into the midterms and what our leaders are saying and doing about them. 
In a world filled with alternative facts and fake news, we try to cut through the noise to bring you the facts about issues like the Supreme Court. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. Reproductive rights. What a failure of our system. What a failure. COVID. We had a million people or more who died. More than we've seen in our wars. And it's like it shrugged off. Subscribe today to get our latest episode and join us each Friday to get our latest analysis. See you then.